here's the goal today. I know it's already a Friday episode, which makes us kind of weird or off-putting or just a little odd. So you know it's important. It's a long episode. Our ambition here is to bring a little bit of daylight onto an issue and onto a project that is new and unique to this world of Criterion Racing. We have not seen something like the NCL, the National Cycling League, in quite some time. The problem, however, is we also don't know what we are looking at with the National Cycling League. They have been very specific and very uh, detailed in what they release and when they release it. Detailed is probably the wrong word. Controlled is probably the most accurate word. They have been controlled in what information they are releasing to the public. We are two weeks and one day away from the very first race of the National Cycling League, and we do not know basic information, including what the full scope of the rules are, what teams are a part of it, what the three other courses in Denver and Atlanta and in Washington, D.C. will look like. And that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. The purpose of this episode is to bring some clarity based on our investigation and information that we've been able to bring together from other sources and from their social media posts. I'm joined by Jonathan Crane, who's done a tremendous amount of work on this subject. But before we get to Jonathan, I got to tell you who I am. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, WideAnglePodium.com, your source for the full bevy of shows, and this, the internet's premier source for independent cycling media and content. Go to the WideAnglePodium.com, become a subscriber, and help financially support this content creator-owned effort, which allows us to do the work of doing this type of investigation and this type of reporting for you. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Source Endurance, source-e.net. It is the internet's premier source, there we go, might be a little bit of a pun, for endurance cycling coaching. Actually, it's more than that. It's cycling coaching, it's life advice, it's nutrition, it's getting you ready for Belgian Waffle Ride, it's Criterium Workouts of the Week, it's a lot of different things. Become an athlete with them, pick your coach, pick what you want to do, pick what you need to make yourself a better version of yourself. And then use the promo code Criterium Nation, all one word for $50. Okay, we've got a lot to get into here with Jonathan Crane. We've got a lot of detail that we want to provide you, and we got some analysis that comes with it. We hope you enjoy, we hope you learn, and we hope you remain an educated member of this community who carries this conversation on further and asks more questions so that we can help answer those for you. And we're doing all of that right now. I want to welcome Jonathan Crane to the show. He is a fellow mediocre cat two bike racer. So we've, this is a mediocre cat two cast. I personally gravitate towards the masters racing now, but you are a, a bit young coming from Birmingham. How are you doing tonight, Jonathan? 
I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm not that young anymore. I'm 34. So I'm like one year off, you know, baby master's age, right? That's true. In fact, the first time I turned, well, when I turned 35, I immediately loaded up the car and went to master's nationals only to realize that the guys who I was racing at were the same guys who were kicking my butt five years ago when they were pros too. Right. So it just, it just keeps following you. You just have to out survive. That's the way it works. I, I'm thinking about doing that in cyclocross this year because I'm race age 35, so birthday's in April. So I may be racing um, Alan at Masters. Didn't he? He raced Masters Nationals on cyclocross last year, I believe. Yeah, but he was a baby, baby master. That's 30 plus. Oh, no. Well, yeah, maybe I'll be older than him. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but Jonathan, the reason we have you on the show tonight is you run your own YouTube channel about bike racing, the American Peloton, and you have on at least two occasions now produced an episode about the National Cycling League, the NCL. So you are our subject matter expert. You are the guy who has more information than anybody because you've spent a lot of time digging into it and a lot of time trying to figure out what it is that we do know, what we should know, and maybe why we don't know it. So tell us a little bit about your show, The American Peloton. Yeah, so it's. I'm glad you're referring to it as a show, not a podcast, although it is available on podcast players. I like to say show because it's primarily kind of video focused. We normally do it live on Twitch and on YouTube, and there's a certain amount of like interacting with the chat live and um, watching things and like responding to them in real time, kind of the same way that other people do on on Twitch and on YouTube. It, there was something I was thinking about listening to your episode with Brad Soner about kind of the fourth estate and like the media media ecosystem. Like we're not going to get uh, ESPN to talk about this stuff, but we there there are like kind of more DIY avenues for for talking about bike racing that exist. So I'm kind of trying to fill a niche that I see in other fandoms that that just nobody was doing here and when i told some people that i was going to have you on they're like why are you having your competition on i was like it's not competition when there's only like two or three people who are doing this and there's more than enough room in this space of criterium racing and american bike racing as a whole for a variety of different voices so you know, where should people go if they want to hear your voice and, and, you know, follow along? Do you have Twitter, Instagram? Do you have the YouTube channel is what? Yeah, the YouTube channel is just my name. It's Jonathan Crane, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-C-R-A-I-N. And I'm basically that on every other social media. Honestly, I don't really use the other, you know, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff for the YouTube channel. But a lot of people follow me on Strava now, also just my name on Strava. But if you want to follow along with me or whatever. But yeah, it's primarily just the YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel en encompasses a lot of things, including the podcast, some of my own racing, the American Peloton show, uh, do some live Zwift racing. It's kind of a grab bag of whatever I think will be interesting, whatever I can make interesting content about. But it has hewed more and more towards... American racing, uh, obviously a lot of criterium racing, just because those are like the people I know and the storylines I know. You've done two episodes in, I think, five or six episodes total within the American Peloton about the NCL. 
what is and what has been your fascination with this organization? Yeah, so me and my co-host Ben, uh, he's another guy who's on my team. He runs a coaching company. We were texting about like, hey, we should do a show. I, I've been injured for the better part of the last eight months. So like trying to cook up content that can go on the YouTube channel, he was like, we should do a show and just talk about some of the stuff that we talk about in normal life, you know, the kind of conversations that we get into. And we were texting back and forth. We're, we're always looking at races for our team to do. And NCL was announced and we're like, what is this thing? You know, there's going to be a new league. It looks like they might have a race in Atlanta, which is about two hours from us. We do a lot of racing in the Atlanta area. And so then we started looking into, is there an amateur component to this or is it just pro racing? And it's like the deeper we dug, the more confounding it became. The conversation was no longer about whether or not there was an amateur race. It was more about just us trying to figure out what was going on here. And then one of us, Ben or myself, said like, hey, this is the show. We should just make this the show. Just us trying to figure out what this thing is. There was a bunch of bizarre content out there. And I said, we should just watch all three videos they've put out live and just react to them. See what we can figure out based on the content they have put out. So just to be clear, you, Jonathan Crane, you're not an employee or a contractor or in any way related to the the NCL organization. You're just an interested observer. Yes, yeah. I, and I think I was probably the first person to make a video about NCL that was not an NCL employee or like someone that they sent a press release to or uh, a AI bot that they fed some some ad copy into. I'm not sure, but yeah, I seem to be the first like real person trying to decipher it and make content about it. And also Skyway, your team, Skyway, is it presented by Domestique Coffee? Yeah. Your team isn't racing the NCL races this year. We cannot race the NCL. No, we're, we're an amateur team. We're basically like focused on getting everybody up to Cat 2 and just doing you know, that, that level of racing. So I may, you know what, we'll get into the rules later. Maybe we are eligible. I don't know, but. Well, that's what I was about to say. We have a copy of the rules. Uh, potentially we have a copy of the rules for the NCL. There's the version that they've shared, uh, on their website. And then there is a more comprehensive version that was shared with teams and riders who are interested in being a part of the, the competition. That was provided to us the week of the Tucson Bicycle Classic. And we asked to confirm whether that, in fact, was an accurate copy of the NCL rules. And we talked to Paris Wallace and another gentleman, Guillermo Rojas. And unfortunately, they declined to confirm whether or not we actually had their rules. So... We're going to have to have that huge caveat right there out at the front, but they seem to comport with everything that we've seen in the actual published version online and other conversations that we've had with NCL riders and teams that we know to be a part of it. So we're operating under the assumption that those are, in fact, the rules. Have they been updated? Have they been changed since we received them three weeks ago? I don't know. I would hope that the rule book for something that's about to happen in two weeks and one day is set in stone. But under the rules, a garden variety USA cycling club is eligible. 
to be a part of the NCL or to be invited into the NCL. So I guess, Jonathan, you know, maybe you guys should, uh, you know, consider reach out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, even if we were were available, I don't know if we want to be racing, you know, Clever Martinez and Sergio Haynau and uh, might be a very it might be an even shorter race for us. So uh, I may uh, I'm no promises. I may try to go to the um, Atlanta race and just see what I can see, but I will not be racing. I'll go ahead and say I will. I'll, I'll put myself in the column and my team in the column of uh, we're not racing in in the NCL this season. Okay, so we can add DC Velo and your team to the list of teams officially not racing. We'll get to the others in a little while. And I do want to be 100% transparent with what we're doing here and what we're talking about here. This show is in no way, shape, or form about the two NCL teams, about the Miami or the Denver team. You know, when we use the word NCL, we are not talking about them. If the story of this show was what has the NCL promised about these two teams. And we would look at, you know, is, are these teams legitimate, well-funded domestic elite teams under the USA cycling rules who are planning on doing a full schedule of bike races? That would be the shortest show ever because we would say mission accomplished on the first half. And on the second half, they're definitely going to real races. I saw them race at Tucson. You know, and when you look at the riders who are a part of it, I'm going to say this probably multiple times, they're legit riders. Clever Martinez, you spoke about before, Alfredo Rodriguez, Brian Gomez, Paulo Munoz, you know, Dr. Andrea Sear. All of these riders are legit American criterium racing riders. And those who aren't include people who are world tour riders from the past, like Sergio Hanau and Leah Kirchman. Like, They've got hardcore, serious credentials to back up, you know, what it is that they are. When we talk about NCL, we're talking about the league. We're talking about the structure behind the league and the corporation that's there. If we do talk about the teams, we'll mention them by name, Miami or Denver. That's pretty simple. There's two of them. So, you know, with with that caveat aside, like I said at the outset here, you know, we did reach out to the NCL and we did ask them some pointed questions and they declined to answer those pointed questions before the first race. At every point in time, we have a part of this conversation where those were or was one of the questions that I asked. I'll make sure to point that out. And so that everybody knows what we've asked about and what we're not getting as far as information is concerned. And that is to me, Jonathan, why I wanted to do this episode. Because the lack of transparency and the lack of publicly available information regarding the NCL is something that causes me concern. Have you, in your experience, in your cycling career, run across kind of like the classic vaporware team? The team that existed with big, massive promises only by, by July to be completely out of money. Yeah, I mean, I think the classic example, I was getting into the sport right around the time that rock racing was kind of like, it was still technically existed in some form, but it was like, what what is that now? Is Are they still racing? But that's kind of the example I go to of like the big flashy, we're driving the Escalades and 
have, you know, just kind of like a non-endemic sponsor that was bringing a level of like, I don't know, pomp and circumstance, but also bravado. And then it just sort of disappeared into the ether. Yeah, and, and it ends up causing a tremendous amount of damage to the ecosystem of the sport and also specifically to the riders themselves. I had a very good friend who was on a team out of South Florida called Chemstar, and they were told tremendous promises about what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. And then halfway through the year, it like it literally evaporated out from underneath him. He was able to get a spot on another, you know, elite team in the United States, but that damaged his personal opportunities because he suddenly had no results. And I think that if you're looking in D.C. specifically, you you would probably run into a lot of people who are still waiting on their $75 I support the D.C. Velodrome T-shirt, you know, and or you could talk to people in Pittsburgh with the Island 200 who've been promised a lot only to have nothing delivered. And with the NCL, we have been promised a tremendous amount of things. Can they make good on it? I really cross my fingers and my toes and hope that they can make good on it. But what's the potential outcome if they fail? You know, what's going to happen to this sport if they fail? One, because a lot of businesses, the vast majority of new businesses fail. So that's just a real possibility. But also you have the potential that like Icarus, they went for the sun and you know what happens when you, you know, when that analogy plays out. Right. Yeah. So we tried to approach it with an open mind as much as possible, but also all, all we have to go off is what they have put out, which when we did our first episode about it was not very much. And that was kind of the impetus for the second episode we did about NCL, where we had Gabe Mendez from Miami Knights on just to see if he could add some more depth or clarity to the things that we were trying to, to figure out, which he did. There was a lot, I was surprised actually how much he could tell us. Now, most of the things he told us were about like point structure and substitution, not the structural kind of things that you're talking about, like the behind the scenes mechanics. And when we put those episodes out, a lot of the feedback we got from them was people saying, yeah, right. There's no way this will never happen. It's too big. It's too ostentatious. Uh, it doesn't seem they don't seem to have it figured out. And I, I think that's kind of the legacy of all the things you just listed off. We're we're so jaded in this sport, but for good reason, like because everybody has been burned at some point. And like I said, I'm hoping that they've got this figured out. I'm hoping for not only the investors who are a part of it and for the riders who are contracted to ride with these teams. And I'm hoping for all of us fans that we get a good quality product at the four races that they're going to put on and participate in. And that kind of leads me to one of my first thoughts is like the splash that you get when you get $7 million, big numbers, being thrown out in the bike racing world, $7 million to an NFL football team is, uh, I don't know how much ice they go through in the course of a, of a season for their training rooms. But like for the bike racing world, $7 million as an investment is huge. 
And it's coming from non-endemic sources. And it's coming from a lot of professional athletes, legitimate professional athletes like Bradley Beal, who plays basketball for the Washington Wizards. Do we have any clue why these professional sports players have decided to do this? Why is this suddenly the cool thing to do? Because it's not just with bike racing. It's bike racing, it's pickleball, it's professional lacrosse. You know, LeBron James is investing here and there. Like, it used to be car dealerships and restaurants. Now it's sports leagues. Yeah, I think some of it is like the the tech industryification of everything. Like, so these a lot of these sports leagues, or at least like NCL specifically, seems to me like their pitch to investors is very much like a tech company's pitch in terms of like these big where we're innovating the space by disrupting the blah, 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 kind of like marketing speak. And so I was a communications major in college. So a lot of these things like kind of hit my filter in a way that that sets off some alarm bells in my mind. If I can't find any thing to back up like the structure, like if you're saying you're going to disrupt something, then I want to know how is your model different from the existing model it seems like their pitch is that sports people should be investing in this because it's sexy like a tech company, but it is a sports thing, which they already sort of know about. So it's this like middle ground, I think. I mean, again, we don't have any transparency. We don't have any quotes from any of the sports people who have put money into this thing. And we don't have any, we haven't been in those meetings, but that just seems to be the line they're walking based on the external, you know, from the outside looking in, that's what I'm seeing. You know, Bradley Beal, I only know about him because I live in D.C. And he's the player, the marquee player, or one of the marquee players on my local basketball team. And so when he was initially announced as one of the investors, I looked up his salary because in professional sports, salaries are transparent, you know, at least in the United States, NFL, NBA, MLB, they're transparent. He makes this year somewhere around $43 million. That's just his salary. Endorsements, all those other things, that's not known. Do you think that these players, these athletes, these investors are directly interested in what they're investing in? Or do you think that this is an investment? Like when we go to Miami, are we going to see Bradley Beal on the side in the VIP tent? I don't think so. It, they don't, none of them seem to be, like, if you go look at their Twitters, we did a lot of research before that first episode we did where we looked at all the investors and who they were and what their backgrounds were and if we could find them talking about it anywhere, including their own personal channels. And the answer was basically no. Um, that, again, like you said, that could have changed since last, since you, like the rules could have changed since they sent them to you. Like that could have changed since we searched it out. But it does seem like for a lot of them, this is an investment where it looks cool that they're doing it. It's also not probably, as you said, a big percentage of their salary. They all have big salaries and there's a lot of them that that $7 million is spread across. So no one person has a huge, um, has a lot of skin in this game. So it's more like an investment property. It's like buying a condo, you know, they can they can just know that it's on their bank. It's you know, it's really more like buying a piece of art. It's like they're buying a piece of art and hoping that it appreciates in value. But if not, 
you know, they had a cool thing for a minute. So, so let's talk about kind of a, a theory here. And this is one that's come to us from the slow ride podcast. And, you know, it's always interesting when they make good points is can the United States can cycling in the United States handle two marquee national criterium series, you know, and even more than that, it's not just two. There are other series that we've talked about or heard about here in the United States for 2023 itself. You had, you know, the National Cycling League, the NCL. You have the ACC in its second year. There was a league called Nocturne that's an import from Europe that was planning on doing three races in the United States, uh, one in San Rafael, one in El Paso, and one in St. Petersburg, Florida. And then there was the CRT, the Circuit Race Tour, I believe is what it stands for. You know, I don't know if those latter two are ever going to come into existence, but like, let's just take the NCL and the ACC. Can we support two leagues? Can we support two series? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, with NCL being four races, that's not a huge lift. And if, you know, those are on GCN and they're getting a worldwide audience and then ACC is primarily American, like maybe they're, is enough room for a total of what is that 14 total? There's 10 ACC and four NCL. Maybe people can watch 14, but the ultimate goal of the NCL is not to be four races. The ultimate goal is to scale up to or beyond what ACC is. And yeah, at some point, probably no. Like I think the talent pool is not necessarily that wide if if those start overlapping in a way where, because this year we have NCL teams, both of those teams are doing ACC races. Each of them is doing most of the the ACC races. Like neither of them is doing the full series. But in the future, if those become conflicts or they close the series as off where you have to be like only an NCL team can race NCL and only ACC teams can race ACC, I'm not sure there would be enough sponsor money to go around to support that. And maybe that's the vision is growing it to where it gets there. But yeah, it's tough. I don't think so. I mean, even in the confines of football, the National Football League and the American Football League could not survive in competition with each other, which is why they created the National Football League, a unification of the two, and we had our first Super Bowl. These are all things that, you know, proved that on a national scale, it's very hard when you've got competing factions. I wanted to talk about two or three claims that the NCL has made in various different social media fora. Now, I think most people who are listening to the show, most people who, you know, have any sort of background knowledge about the NCL can talk about their earliest marketing efforts, uh, their initial videos, their initial reels and stories. And I think charitably calling them shambolic would be a nice way of saying that they were really missing the mark. Their marketing has gotten dramatically more professionalized and dramatically slicker over time, but you still run into situations where you're getting messages that you just, when you look at it, your brain comes to a screeching halt because you're like, that doesn't make sense. So 
a couple here that I wanted to bring up, and these are two of them, and these are very recent, is a post from the other day about 60 million bike riders in the U.S. and no professional sport league until now. That's a strange statistic and a strange statement to make. Uh, I want to break that down first and foremost because I don't know where they got the 60 million bike rider number. I've seen something similar in the CRT's marketing brochure, so maybe they took it from there. You might start to see a lot of links and threads between what Legion was talking about trying to do within Into the Lion's Den and Justin Williams has been speaking about for years prior to this in the NCL itself, but 60 million bike riders in the US. Just out of curiosity, Jonathan, how many car drivers are there in the United States? How many walkers? How many runners? What does this have to do with the price of tea in China? Right. Yeah. I'm not, it seems like another instance of just like big numbers for the sake of big numbers. I'm not sure there's really a through line where you can connect that to any sort of concrete. It's like one statement does not necessarily connect to the next statement, like the number of bike riders and bike riders notice they're not saying bike racers so there are plenty of people who ride bikes who detest bike racing i know plenty of like you know commuter type people who hate us lycra people and so that's not even i mean i would love to convert them don't get me wrong but uh, yeah and so if that is even if that is a real number i'm not sure how much bearing it has on anything and then no league. It's like no league of their own. Or was that a direct quote? Were you reading that? I was paraphrasing, but yeah, that's... There's something in there about ownership, too. It's like no league that they own or something. That's an, a more recent version of of their commentary that um, came out. Yeah, 2 billion cyclists worldwide, no professional league of their own until now. And that's from a post just a day ago. Yeah, professional league of their own leads me to believe that riders own it somehow, but I think they're just saying league. Yeah, again, it's like there's not anything that clarifies what any of that means. So it's kind of just this marketing speak um, nonsense. And and I think also there's a lot of semantics that might be going into this. I don't I am no way, shape, or form going to say somebody is telling the truth or not telling the truth in a sentence or in a statement here. So, like, I think that there is semantics going into this about the concept of a league as compared to, and I'm sure that there are certain people in the background screaming right now, like, what about the NCC or the NRC? What about USA Crits? What about the ACC? What about the prior version of an NCL type program that was in operation in the late 90s and early 2000s? Why are these not considered leagues? What's so unique here about the NCL? And unfortunately, I'm not seeing any answers. Right. That's what gets me. That's honestly what has like kept me peeling this onion is I want to find an answer to some of those questions and it just hasn't been provided. Like it seems like they are trying to make a distinction between themselves and all of these other entities, especially ACC, since that's sort of the current thing that I would say is the standard bearer for like what a criterium league in the United States should be. 
and then they're just not providing like by what definition is ACC not a league? I, you could say that it's not invitation only, but then they don't say that that's the definition they're using or they need to clarify their own terms if they're going to make such grandiose statements, I guess. Especially when the headline of their own website is Welcome to the Future of Professional Cycling. Ten teams competing for over one million in prize money across a four race series on iconic city streets. Like, show us your show us your math. I think that's really what I want to know. And I would I would love to have more information about is the math behind this. If you're going to say something as bold as you are the future and all these other instances of bike racing that have happened in the past should remain on that trash heap of the past. Show us your math. And I think it bleeds into the second point, which is also from that same post, the first sports league to turn cycling into a spectator sport. My brain is, I just, what have I been doing for the last 20 years when I go to watch bike races? Am I not a spectator? Right. Yeah, that I had the same thought. Like, I've spectated many races, so... Again, how is this different? And it does seem like right now they're kind of backing off some of the earlier promises they had made that were even more. There used to be a lot more language in these all of these press releases and videos and stuff about like metaverse connections. And so I used to give the benefit of the doubt of like maybe they're saying there's some some kind of like interactive data portal. Maybe I'm going to be able to put my VR headset on and I'll be you know, seeing what clever Martinez helmet camera sees and I'll have his data in front of me. That would be a new spectator experience, but that doesn't seem to be what is happening. Like as we're getting closer, that's being backed off on. So again, it's like this lack of clarity. It's a, it's a combination of being very specific on some things and then not providing that next level of clarity as to what they mean. So saying they're redefining something, but then not saying what the definitions are. And the last one, I think if there's a central thing from the beginning of the NCL until now, it's been the prize purse. You know, on the website, the very front page, 10 teams competing for over a million in prize money. In their rules, the race rules that are on display in their on their website, the total purse available to the teams competing in the NCL Cup Series is over $1 million. Nowhere in the rules that are displayed on their website or in any of their uh, official social media have they explained how that is going to break down. Now, you, in your first episode on them, found something. Yeah, that didn't seem to be something that they had put out, though. It seemed to be by a third party. And what we found from like watching and reading all of the stuff that that we could find about it is it seemed to be different people extrapolating out from the same press release. So there were even a few instances where like two different outlets seemed to have like mostly all the same, even some of the same exact phrasing. But then some of the facts under that were in opposition to one another. So that original breakdown we found, I'm not sure if, if 
they, they listed an amount for first. It was like seventy five hundred, maybe not seventy five. Uh, Seven hundred thousand was what your video said. Yes, which is and that, a lot of money. That's exciting. Yeah, that's a big a big prize purse. But again, like if that's the case, why would that not be on their website? Huge. Why would that only exist in a video that some third party put on YouTube that had like two hundred views? Yeah. And I think most of the views are probably from people who are watching your show at that time going, what the hell is this all about? In the expanded version of the NCL Cup rules that we can't confirm is accurate or not, but that we've been provided by a team that is within it, they do have a more comprehensive breakdown of prize money. Each race, Miami, Atlanta, Denver, and Washington, D.C., have at stake $30,000 apiece. So that's $120,000 total. The winner for any of those races, and now remember, these are 16-person teams, is $7,500. So if you win Miami, $7,500. If you get second, $5,000. Third, $4,000. It goes all the way down to $1,200. The cup itself has a $130,000 prize purse as a bonus. That's what it's officially called, final team standings, cup bonus. The winning team for the cup gets $45,000. The second place team, 25, the third place team, 15,000. So those are the guaranteed prize purses according to this document that we have. Obviously, 130 plus 150 in no way, shape, or form equal $1 million. Here's where, and this is where I, this is uh, interesting to me because it's taken me down the rabbit hole of what do I remember about Lance Armstrong and what do I remember about his lawsuit over the Tour de France and in the insurance company. A contingent prize purse. If then. If X happens, then you can win this amount of money. It is a classic way of taking a prize purse out of the guaranteed world so that you, the event promoter, don't need to actually have that money. You go to a third-party insurance provider, you pay a premium, and that premium will be paid, that prize purse will be paid out only if the contingency is met. That's exactly why Lance Armstrong ended up suing his insurance company because they refused to pay. And then once it came out that he was a doper, a, they went back after him for that money. So here is the NCL triple and quadruple crown. I don't know, have you ever heard the NCL triple or quadruple crown mentioned on any social media or any publication ever? Never. Okay, so in the event that there are at least, and I'm quoting, at least eight fully participating teams at the conclusion of the Cup Series and any fully participating team is the event winner of three of the events, they will win $100,000. If any event winner is the winner of four events, they will win $700,000. Now you can get to $1 million, but they are contingent prize pools. That is very tricky. So I hadn't heard that breakdown specifically, but uh, someone, and I don't want to burn my source here, but 
someone who is on a team that was courting NCL or vice versa, whatever, they were to the stage of receiving contracts. I asked him, hey, are you guys doing NCL? What's going on? You know, trying to dig up information. And he had heard our our episodes about it. And he said, yeah, we pulled out last week because we've got to look at the contract. And I asked him what was in the contract. And he was like, well, it was basically 40 pages. But the more I the more we looked at it, the more ways there were for them to not pay us. Things like um, each rider on the team must maintain a Facebook, an Instagram, a TikTok and a LinkedIn. Those are that's all direct quotes. These are not things I'm making up to be facetious and then based on if you don't have uh, followers on those there are a lot of like very wide contingencies where they could say oh this person is not eligible because they were not following these rules and that's not to say they necessarily would do that but the way the contract was written they could technically say jonathan crane you don't have a tiktok therefore the points you scored for your team are ineligible And that's just one example. And I I was told it was basically 40 pages of things that read that way. And it was just too many red flags to ignore. So this particular team will not be participating. And I can tell you that for the eligibility 2.2 of this document on page one leading into two, there is, quote, have personal Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and TikTok accounts with active followers for individuals. For the teams, it's the exact same thing except no LinkedIn requirement. So, you know, the the information you got is consistent with what we see here in this document, which is interesting. I mean, a lot of this, I've seen a fair number of contracts before in my life, and a lot of this is not unusual stuff in any way, shape, or form. There's a choice of law provision. There's an arbitration agreement. There's a lot of things which are just standard garden variety contract language. Most people will look at it and go, I don't know what that means. I'm not really sure. But it's not insidious in and of itself. It's just, yeah, this is something that should be public facing. You know, this is something that everybody should know about if if you are trying to, again, change the future of cycling or be the future of cycling. So let's ask this final question, this final statement that they, you know, well, let me go back to this. One of the things that the NCL has promised or stated or argued is that they are a professional cycling league. I don't know where they're coming up with their definition for professional. And that bothers me to a certain degree because in bike racing, we have a standard setting organization already in existence. We have had numerous arguments in the past on the show about what it means to be pro. You know, we've seen, especially in the gravel racing space, this class of privateers arising who are earning living wages, but are they professionals under cycling's guys? You know, the UCI lays out who is and who is not a professional. So is there any factual support for the NCL's claim that they are in fact a professional league or just a league that happens to pay good money? 
Yeah, I guess they're using more of the skateboarding definition. So I, I come from a skateboarding background and basically in skateboarding, if companies are paying you, especially if you have your name on a product, you are a professional. If you are amateur, you're generally receiving free product, but if you're getting paid, you're a professional. Now, that's not a definition that necessarily tr should transfer, can or should transfer over to cycling. But yeah, I mean, looking at the rules, it, like you said, like my team would be eligible and we are decidedly not professional. So how you can call that a professional league, but allow non-professional teams to compete in it. Some of that may also be aspirational. Maybe I, the term league also hits me wrong because when I think league, I think that there are set teams and only those teams compete and it is a consistent storyline through the entire arc of the season. And I think that's definitely what they're working toward. They only have two endemic teams now, but I don't think, see, they didn't say we're working toward a league. They said we are a league and that's kind of where the rub is for me. Sometimes you put the cart before the horse and that might be an instance here. One thing that, you know, we... I want to be clear about what my definition of professional is. And I want it to be consistent with what the UCI says is or is not professional because they are the standard setting organization for the sport of bike racing. The NCL considers itself to be crit racing, which is a version of road racing under the UCI rules. So therefore we shall follow the standards that they set until we replace them with something better. I cannot go around calling myself a professional attorney unless I have a license to practice law from the bar. I cannot call myself a doctor unless I am board certified. I cannot be a professional engineer unless I've got a license. People have created a professional qualification system that you have to abide by in order to call yourself a professional. Our understanding is that the NCL is paying somewhere between thirty dollars and $70,000 to each rider as a salary, that it's bounded by experience and results and things of that nature. Do I know how much Haley Bates is making versus how much Sergio Hanau is making? No, I don't. Are both of them great bike racers and should be paid good money? Absolutely. Both of them are great bike racers and should be paid good money. Is thirty dollars to $70,000 in American bike racing above market wages? Yeah, it for sure is in the criterium space. And it's great that people can be supported. But under the UCI, pro road tour teams and world tour teams are professionals. Continental team is not. Under the USA cycling rules, a domestic elite team is a category of road teams that sit between a club and a UCI continental team. Domestic elite teams offer a stepping stone to the professional level and better solidify the position of teams competing at the National Road Calendar American Criterium Cup and NCL Race Series. That's a obviously updated quote there from the usacycling.org website. Both NCL teams are registered as domestic elite teams. Of the teams that we know and can confirm through various different means, either directly from them or through multiple sources, the only team that is a part of the NCL that is a UCI team is Skyline, and they are a UCI continental team. 
there are not that many UCI Continental teams left at this point, right? There's Skyline, Wildlife Generation folded this last year. Um, did Legion take out a license again this year? I know there was that, there was there was that that original um, sort of vision of Legion that they would have like a UCI team that would be sort of stage race focused, and then they would have like a crit team that would be uh, headed by Corey or headed. I guess UCI team was like the ju- the Corey team and uh, crit team was the Justin team, and they were going to kind of you know mix and match riders, but almost have two two squads. And I think 2020 may have thrown that into disarray and stuff, but I'm not even sure they've taken out that license this year. But if if they have, they're one of maybe five, right? Something like that on the men's side. On the men's side this year, there is EF, which is obviously a world tour team. Uh, actually, no, I'm looking at the Continental team list on the UCI. So EF has a Devo team, Hoggins Berman, Legion, Project Echelon, Team Novo Nordisk, and Team Skyline. At the, the next level up on the men's side, the Pro Road teams, Team Novo Nordisk, and Human Powered Health. And at the World Tour, so the tip top, is EF and Trek Segafredo. On the women's side, you have uh, 2024, Roxo, DNA, and Siniska are continental teams. The women do not have a pro team, so they don't have that division two level. So EF, education, human powered health, and Trek are world tour teams on the women's side. Uh, unfortunately, of that list that we named there, only Skyline is competing in the NCL this year. So I ask again, is is this actually currently a professional cycling league? It's a league with professionals, but not a professional league, which again, this is where like my communications background, these things started to like ping my radar um, in a way that was like a lot of these things were not sitting right with me. A league that contains professionals is not necessarily a professional league, as as you've said. So let's look at some of the, the rules that are very much more public than some of the things that we've been talking about here. So first, Miami, Atlanta, Denver, DC. April 8th, May 14th, August 13th, and September 17th. That's a long time period for uh, between the second and third races, but I, I think the race in DC in September could be potentially beautiful. That's the perfect time of year to be here. As of right now, the only race out of those four that has any actual information about it is Miami. They have announced a 4.15 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time start for the women, a 6 p.m. start for the men. The course is available on their website. It is a bone flat, I mean zero feet up, zero feet down, four-corner course measuring 1.76 kilometers in length, so just a little bit over a mile in length. You can buy a VIP experience for $215 on the website, too. Um, What we know, Jonathan, and I think you, on your episode five, was there's a sprint point every lap. Yeah, that was one of those initial things that that kept pricking my ears up. They were talking about a whole new points-based format, and then they weren't specifying what the points were. So that was one of the reasons we wanted to get Gabe on, and... Gabe is someone that Ben had a background racing with. That's like part of the reason that we do the show that we do is we have, you know, some tenuous connection to some of the people racing. So we can provide a little bit of insight similar to what you do. We, we kind of 
have a little window in and then we can look from our from our perch and kind of like translate for people what's going on but Gabe was able to come in and tell us a lot of stuff we didn't know that hadn't been published yet about the scoring system and about all, all of the rules of the actual race itself. Now, what I was hoping for is that there would have been some points preems lap that were more heavily weighted, but what they've done is every lap is a points lap. There are three positions that score points on the line every single lap and all of those points go into a bucket for the team. So they're not individual points. Like if Frank Travieso is scoring points, those are going into the Miami Knights. I'm confirming. Yeah, he is on Miami Knights. I was unsure about which of the two teams he was on. Those are going into the Miami Knights bucket along with any points scored by any of the women. If let's go Taylor cook, cook white, so Frank's points are going into a bucket with Taylor Cook White's points. And even if each of them, even if Taylor scored all the points for the women's team and then they won, and then Frank scored all the points for the men's team and it was more points than any other individual rider, neither of them stands on an individual podium. Their team is the podium. So, yeah, this is where it gets confusing because it's 3-2-1. So first place on the lap gets three points, second place gets two, third place gets one for the 29 first laps, or the first 29 laps. The final lap, and this is, I love being able to use this word, is treble. So it's three times. So nine, six, three. Yes. So what I was hoping for is that there would be a little bit of like differentiation, maybe not every lap as a points lap, I like the idea of scoring, of, of having these preems that are for something more than just sprint points. Like, I like the ACC system. It has made things more interesting that they have those seven laps in points preem, and, but, but it's not quite high enough stakes to motivate uh, like a Legion to, to be sprinting, you know? Those, those preems are not going for the overall win of that race. They're going for these series-long points. But... I sort of think that what this does and the the bane of being a spectator, I guess if you want to say that you can spectate races that are not in CL, you know, that's still up for debate. Uh, <laughs> being a spectator in the last few years, it's been a little boring at times to watch. I mean, impressive, but boring to watch uh, Sam Boardman and, and those guys just sit on the front and diesel it out the whole time and just control the entire race. What I was hoping we were going to see is a, a system that weights certain laps heavier, maybe even if there's points on all laps, but, you know, the fifth lap is triple points and the final lap is, you know, whatever, I, maybe triple, maybe quadruple, but I, this is going to reward still that sort of Legion system of sitting on the front and dictating tempo. Or it could potentially cause the race to devolve into absolute slaughterhouse chaos because 30 sprints over the course of an hour. I guess that's my point is I think 30 sprints means no sprints. I think you could maybe do like 10 sprints could be sprints, but 30 sprints is just kind of riding hard for an hour. The reason that I've been told they're doing this or one of the, 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 arguments in favor of it, I think is probably a better way of saying it, is that it's going to make it 
more interesting to the viewer, more interesting to the spectator. Because, and, and this is almost a direct quote, the same three people aren't going to win every time now. You know, because now you're looking at a team concept as opposed to just Kendall and Skyler and Maggie Coles Lister, you know, which the three women that I just named are incredibly talented, awesome bike racers who win because they are sometimes the most talented or oftentimes the most talented persons in the field. So they win because they're supposed to. They've got great teamwork here. It's a total team thing. And I don't soapbox time and I'm sorry. I don't understand why people have so much difficulty understanding that in criterium racing, it is a team sport already. It is a hundred percent a team sport already. I can tell you who won, which team won that race without a separate team competition by the name of the rider and the Jersey that he or she is wearing on the final lap. If Corey Williams wins a bike race. Corey Williams was on the best team of that night. End of story. That's why it's so difficult to beat a Legion or so difficult to beat a Project Echelon in a stage race is because in road racing, you have to fundamentally work as a team. It's not gravel. It's not cyclocross. It's not mountain bike. It's a team sport. And so off my soapbox right there, but I applaud them for trying this out and maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe this is the secret sauce that we've all been waiting for. I don't know if you agree or disagree. Yeah. So it's not exactly what I had hoped it might be, but I am interested to watch it. And I think that's kind of my overarching take on NCL in general now, because I am hopeful, as we said earlier, like I'm hopeful that it pans out for all of the riders. I'm glad the riders are getting paid. Um, I am interested to watch a new format. Will it be good or bad? I don't know, but it will be interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see who's doing what and if a different sort of strategy evolves over time from what we've seen in other leagues or if it turns into more of the same. I mean, e even that would be an interesting development to say this league tried this radically different thing and, and even with this crazy new sc scoring system, these teams just raced it how they race it. I don't think that's what we're going to see. And I guess, I mean, I love watching bike racing in general. So maybe I'm going to watch whatever happens. I'm not sure if I buy the thing that they're selling in terms of it being easier to watch for a non-cycling person. I get that. And I've had the conversation many times, often at Athens Twilight. That's the example I always go to. There's always some frat guys on the side of the road and I'm in my kit after the amateur finals and I overhear them talking and, and being like, what's going on? Who's that guy? What's, and I'll just walk up and start explaining the racing. But generally they don't get the, the fact that whoever's on the front is not winning the race at that moment. You know, like they are in front of the race, but they are not necessarily winning the race. But all of these points, this point system, I'm not sure it's going to be any clearer to those people. And what I haven't been able to get any clarity on from, including when we had Gabe on the podcast is like, how are these points in real time going to be communicated to the fans at home, to the fans on site and to the riders in the race? Think about how hectic that could be. If you're mid race, 
the whole thing is about points and you have no idea how many points anyone has. Yeah, I mean, I've done points races, both track and, you know, criterion points races. They're always that one time a year oddity where you're just like, eh, let's give this a shot. Every five laps, you'll have a sprint. Cool. And then you do a lot of mental math about, was that Ramon who was up the road or was that Phil? No, shoot. I mean, it'll make it simple here because it's just what color jersey you're wearing. But like the only way I see this working on site, at least, is for there to be a giant scoreboard. That's the only way it works. And even with a giant scoreboard, I've talked about it before. Like sometimes in the the fog of battle, I have trouble finding just a lap card, just where in relation to the start finish is a lap card. And that's one number I'm looking for. But now you're racing and you're looking for a board that potentially has 10 teams on it and their points totals. And you're trying to figure out which one of those is my team. Where do we sit? How many more do we need? And maybe maybe radios will solve that. Maybe, you know, Wahoo is their their sponsor for head units and stuff. Maybe they're going to come up with a whole Wahoo program that's feeding that to everyone's head units. That's that's a huge like I'm not saying that they have said that anywhere. I'm saying that's like the best case scenario almost. But but what about like, I mean, I've been in a race where you don't know who won. It comes down to a photo finish. It's a pixel. I mean, how many pixel races have we seen this year? They've talked about proprietary, which is always my favorite word in work. It's a proprietary X, which normally in bike racing means you're going to have to spend a really long time period to fix that brake system or whatever it happens to be. But they've talked about proprietary scoring systems that'll tell us who wins and when and like... There's a failure point. That's all I see is a potential failure point. Yeah, again, it's a thing where I want to peel the onion back because there is it is interesting to me, but then there's there's nothing, there's no layer under that where you understand what's going on. And I, I hope that some of this will be made clear with the first race. We'll see what the scoring system is and it'll immediately make sense to us. But what I've also seen is them saying that like, the first race is going to look different from the second race will look different from the third race. So I'm not even sure, like after race one, we might walk off, walk away saying like, uh, we had no idea what's going on. And then they're continuing to say like, well, next time, you know, we'll have the VR headset for Denver and then we'll, and it's going to keep going from there. So I'm not sure how many layers deep this thing is going to go. Because they've already made it clear that there is a qualifier of some variety for starting grids. So teams will be started together in grids and they will qualify in a certain way depending on the race. So for Miami, it's going to be a qualifier event done on trainers the night before where two riders compete for, and I'm not really even sure what to prove who's going to be in the X spot or the Y spot. I guess there'll be a pole spot, whatever. One thing we didn't touch on, and I'll just really hit it here quickly, is the uh, lapping because if you see this turn into a slaughterhouse where people are blowing up all over the place and there's tons of little groups on this one mile course, you can find lapping to be a, a very interesting point. Nine points for lapping the field. Any rider that laps the field gets nine points. The field is, according to the rules, considered the largest group on the road. And once the riders do the lap, the entire field will now be on the rider's lap. So it's a 30 lap race, but if there is a lapping that happens, 
only the people who actually did do the lapping will do 30. Everybody else will do 29. And again, with the point system, I think the devil is in the details there. I'm not sure nine is enough to make me want to lap up. Like, I think if I was out there in no man's land and I can get three every lap I'm away versus nine if I lap up, if I'm looking at the back end of the field, maybe I just back off the gas a little bit and see if I can get four more out of it because that's more points. Yeah, because all of a sudden you don't have teammates to benefit you like they did last year at Athens when that chaos ensued in the men's race where riders are like, uh, should we lap? Should we lap? And, you know, best buddies was like, absolutely. We're lapping because I've got like four other riders sitting in that race who are going to help me beat all of you guys in that final here. It's a strategy thing. And we, it, we could see the inverse of the strategy. That was the race where the Colombian team got relegated, right? So they, they got were disqualified. Yeah. 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 Cool. They they sent someone to the back to like drop back to a group to pull that group up so that you could see like the malicious version or sort of the inverse malicious version of that here where a rider is off the front and the peloton says like, well, let's just slow down and make them lap up because then they're going to stop eating all the points and we can start sprinting for points again. Now, that's cool strategy conversations like the the, the permutations here can go out forever. But one thing that is unique, let's say it like that, to the NCL is this substitution rule. The bike race will be run under USA Cycling Criterium rules, except for one important caveat, there, is, there are no free laps. If you have a mishap, you are SOL, but you can substitute a rider. So let's start here. If you are off the back and you're out of contention, you're done. You can get pulled. You do not or cannot become a substitute. You're gone. Teams must start with four riders and may start with up to six riders with two subs in the designated pit area. You can ask for a substitute for different reasons. First and foremost, if you have a mishap and you would need a free lap, you can just go into the pit and a sub will go in for you and you can fix whatever the problem is and then you become a sub later. Other substitutions can be for tactical, strategic reasons or just because a rider is tired. But, and this was interesting in the rule, the rider has to, the entering rider has to hit a timing mat that will release the sub from the pit. How is that gonna work? So this was the thing that really broke my brain when we were talking to Gabe. Like this was something that among all of the the unclear things that I had been trying to like wrap my head around and get clarity on that we were grilling Gabe on, this was something that he just threw out almost un, unprovoked, unprompted. We weren't really delving into this. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. This changes the entire race. He said that they did at team camp. So um, the two NCL teams disruptors and Miami Knights did a team camp around uh, Tucson bicycle classic. And they did some like test races where they worked on how this, he was calling it F one style pit exchange would happen. Um, and truly I'm not sure. Like there's, there's so much chaos. We know from normal racing, a free lap while these are not free laps, the, principle is the same in terms of like you're being released back into the group so 
I can definitely see how it would be how it could throw off the tactics if someone is released too early or too late. And it seems like there's going to be a system by which you cannot be released until your other rider is in. But it's like, are people going to be attacking into this pit to release their rider more quickly so that they can move up into the group? Or is there like a shortcut for the pit? Like, how do you get ahead of everybody? And one thing that Gabe said that really sent my brain reeling was that you could substitute a rider in the break. So you could get a breakaway specialist, uh, a Frank Travieso again. That's who I keep going back to because I've had the misfortune of racing Frank many times and I know how big of a diesel he is. Um, You could get a Frank Travieso up there in the break and then with five to go, there is a limit. This is something Gabe told us that past a certain point, you can't sub racers out anymore, but I believe that's within the last five laps, something like that. That's my understanding too. Yeah. So up to that point though, so at six to go, you could pull Frank out and you could put Clever in. So you could, now your rider in the breakaway is also your protected sprinter who not only has been, you know, protected all night, but maybe hasn't even ridden all night and is completely fresh. That to me seems like, it's it's such a huge variable and it could be insanity and unfair and you know completely break the race or it could be a super interesting new thing to watch and that's kind of what that's why i felt like i had to talk about this cuz it's it's going to be interesting either way that's what i keep coming back to is it will definitely be interesting the two most hectic crazy and sometimes scariest times in a bike race are the sprint finish and anytime people are coming out of the pit. And now you have thrown 30 sprints and an endless supply of re-entering riders into the race. I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, me either. It it seems it's definitely seems fraught, especially if the idea is that your entering rider will get back into the peloton where the exiting rider i mean just the mechanics of like i'm someone who's in the peloton and i want to sub myself out you got to work yourself to the correct side of the peloton to pull yourself out because generally if you're taking a free lap you're not in the peloton anymore that's why you're taking a free lap so you have the empty road to either side of you to maneuver yourself into the pit. I think it's going to be a new experience that riders that are in the field, whichever side the pit is on the right or the left inside or outside of the course are going to be, you know, maneuvering themselves across to that side and sort of fighting for position in a totally different way, fighting for lateral position in order to slide into the pit. It's like going to a feed zone in a crit. It, in it's chaos it's done it's chaos though another scary scary time scary feed zone in a crit is like that's my worst nightmare so let's talk here in kind of summation but dealing with like the last two big things which is the teams and the broadcast so there are two ncl teams miami and denver there are 10 teams who are supposed to be competing And remember, a team is not a men's team or a women's team. It is a men's team and a women's team. So there are eight co-ed other teams. Who are we? The NCL um, 
has started pairing teams together. So one team that is a men's team and one team that is a women's team, they are not universally the same team trade-wise for USA Cycling races, but they're getting paired here. We still do not have a public facing statement from the NCL. And this is a question that I specifically asked them, who are your teams? And they declined to answer. We do not have a publicly facing who are these other teams, but I can tell you, I can say this, that we've been digging very heavily and we believe that these are the following teams that will be a part of this as far as we can tell. Texas Roadhouse, they're a men's only team, so they need to be paired with a women's team. They are paired this year with Goldman Sachs ETFs. That's the former CWA team from South Florida. CCB Foundation, that is a co-ed team. Volaire Factory Racing, it's a men's only team. No idea who they're paired with. We previously mentioned Skyline. They're a co-ed team this year. They've picked up some women. So those are the teams that we know about. We are missing five and a half teams, basically. Yeah, it's that was one of the things after our first episode that most people were were responding to was saying that they'll never fill out that roster. And that was before we had any real information. But and I think some people were misunderstanding because there are the two endemic teams. People were like, oh, two team racing going to be any fun to watch. But I I don't want to say they were right, but it does seem like there may not be enough teams to fill out the roster. I know, again, not to burn some sources, but the same team that looked at the contract and turned it down, one of their sticking points was they might have to cover up their bike sponsor because their bike sponsor was not in line with Factor who sponsors the NCL. And the NCL organizers could not assure them that they were not going to have to like tape over logos like it's a time trial and your sponsor doesn't make the time trial equipment on, on, on their bikes, which, you know, I guess wouldn't be unprecedented. But also, if you're if you have a big bike sponsor and that's one of the big sponsors of your crit team why are you going to put the time and effort into getting to these races all over the country that are already like a headache format, you know, to figure out and, and race differently than everything else. And then provides very little value to your sponsors. I don't know. Maybe you could do the old, um, what was the, the team that they were like sponsored by the lottery in the world tour and they had to do, um, question marks all over their Jersey. That was a, I think that was a '90s thing. That's a, this is a slow ride favorite. Slow ride, tell us what what I'm talking about here. The the question mark jerseys. They were they were told that they couldn't have a, I think it was gambling based sponsor, some some kind of illicit sponsor, and uh, so they replaced those logos with question marks. So I guess maybe you could do that, and and people will still be talking about it in 25 years the way I am right now. But yeah, that's that's just a hard sell. Let's talk. So. Part of what we know is what we know also that does not exist. Uh, it's a really mind-numbingly brain-screeching way of saying we know teams are not a part of it. So we know teams that are a part of it, and we know teams that are not. Again, this is another question that I asked the NCL that they refused or declined, excuse me, to, to answer. What teams turned you down? 
So we know, obviously, because of publicity on various different fora, Legion, Miami Blazers, Austin Aviators all have declined to participate. Project Echelon has declined to participate. DNA has declined. United Cycling, 3TQM, I, I think I'm getting that right. I know it's 3TQ. Automatic has also said no. American Cycling, which is the um, the team that has come out of Best Buddies with Michael Hernandez and led by Tom Craven. ButcherBox, 2024. All of those teams have said no. Now, they, they've all got different reasons, and some of them have been very polite and wishing the NCL well on social media, but also some of them have been... Let's just put it like this. There's some contentious relationships that are out there. There's definitely some bridges that have been burned for reasons that we will never probably know. But when you look at that list of teams who have said, no, we're not going to do it, you're looking at a huge percentage of the best criterium teams in the United States. What does that say about this league? Yeah, I mean, I th I think I've said this on on my channel before, but I think what's got me most excited about the NCL is that I will see the NCL teams racing in non-NCL races against your legions, your automatics, your teams that are not racing here. And it is it, not only does it represent like a plurality of of great crit racing teams, it's also like personality-wise you know, your your Justin Williams, your Corey Williams, even like uh, Brandon Fury is now like winner of the ACC last year. He's he's gone over to Miami Knights. Will not be. Oh no, Miami Blazers. Yes, Blazers, not Knights. Yes. The Legion based man. I, I know that's going to get too. confusing. It's too many Miami. Yeah, and and then I also think that maybe American Cycling has more Miami based. Someone check me on this. My. American Cycling, I think, has as many or maybe more Miami-based racers than either of the Miami-named teams. I want that to be true so that it's a fun, fun fact. But, yeah, it's there There are so many, um, so many personalities that will not be there. It's going to be hard, again, to pull focus to, in all these different directions. And I think... Really, I think the ACC is going to be better for it because that is sort of the proving ground where you're where you are going to see all these great teams going head to head. The I think I'm going to key off the word C, and and for this final point is broadcasting and live stream. GCN Plus will be carrying the uh, NCL races, the four races, on their streaming service. And we don't know who's going to be doing the broadcast commentary. We do know that the voice of American Criterium Racing, that is Brad Soner, will be doing the PA on-site announcing. So when you go to Miami Beach or you go to Atlanta, you will hear the dulcet, charming sounds of Brad Soner. The NCL and the and GCN have done a tremendously better job than the ACC and outside did last year in co-marketing, branding, and spreading their message. So, like, that's a good thing. I'm just wondering, like, when this gets broadcast to the GCN fans, are they going to have their minds completely blown by what they're seeing? 
Is this the version of American Criterium Racing that we want people in Birmingham, England, not Birmingham, Alabama, to see? You know, is this is this the best that we're going to do? Yeah, I mean, this is another one of those points where I want to be optimistic on it, but probably not. But I want to imagine a world in which the point scoring makes extremely dynamic racing and the uh, dis- the way it's displayed on screen is very easy to follow in real time. But the lack of clarity on some of these other points and kind of how last minute a lot of this stuff has, at least how it has been presented to us, makes me think that at least for this first race, it may not be the best forward looking, the best like presentation that we can give to the rest of the world. Now, I think being on GCN will lend it some amount of just natural cachet. I think some people will take it more seriously because it is on GCN or maybe just be aware of it at all in a way that they are not aware of ACC because it's on GCN. But ACC has set a a really high bar, I think, for how good the races should look and sound and, and be produced. What ACC has not done a great job of is actually get those in front of people's eyeballs. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, the rub of you can do a good job with your broadcast, but if you're not cross marketing, if you are not expanding, you are not doing enough. And GCN is insanely popular in the bike racing world, especially among European riders. Uh, and they've got a great fan base. I am just going to be amazingly curious because when the NFL went to Europe, they had had decades of experience in how to broadcast and run games before they went there. The NCL is doing this all with a huge on-the-job training style learning curve. It's going to be very interesting to see. Right. Because there, there's not even, you could say, oh, they could hire whoever is, they could hire the same people that have produced quality streams in the past. But even then, this format is so wildly different that there are going to be variables and things that I, I really hope they're not just going to put it all on Brad's shoulders to explain to us what's going on with the points constantly, where Brad's going to be like that meme of the lady with all of the math and numbers in front of his face. And he's just going to be rattling off a a steady stream of numbers because, you know, it's not on screen. And this is another thing they've like teased and then sort of backed off on is that there will be some sort of like online interactive component where maybe you as a fan can click around and see, you know, power numbers and real-time scoring, but I think at least for this first one, I don't see any of that coming to fruition. They've kind of backed off talking about it, which makes me think that it's not ready yet or maybe maybe doesn't exist at all. Who knows? But yeah, I think that without that, it is going to be a really tough sell to bring this completely new version of crit racing question mark. I mean, they're calling it crit racing, but it's more like track racing outside almost. Well, the one true way to interact with bike racers. So like Frank Travieso, you've talked about him a bunch. After the Miami race, go buy the man a whiskey 
and he will interact with you all day long. Jonathan, thank you so much for helping break this down. It's going to be exciting one way, shape or form or another come April 8th. Agree. Yeah, thanks for having me. for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, with special thanks to our guest, Jonathan Crane, and all the incredible work that he's done over the course of the last couple of months in helping break down what is the NCL. We will be back in 10 days' time uh, with our episode with Michael Marks, So come back here again next time and join us for more stories from our Criterium Nation.